The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. I believe that worship has just made our hearts tender. As I preach what I'm about to preach, I pray that you would remove every distraction. That phones would not be a distraction. Commotion would not be a distraction. Help us to be focused on your word. It's life and death. So God, help us to hear what the Spirit would say today through the word that you've given us. Help me, this preacher, to rightly divide the word of truth. I ask in Jesus' good name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to have you stand in just a moment again just to give you a fair, fair warning. Last week, I began a, um, a series on the subject of marriage. And in the first week, we looked at the creation account, at God's original plan for marriage, Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. And we, we looked at the model for marriage, if you will. And among other things, we were reminded that marriage is God's design, which means we don't get the right to tamper with it. And it's meant to be one man and one woman in an exclusive, committed, and covenantal relationship for life. And today we're going to begin by dissecting Ephesians chapter 5. And in this message, we're going to consider the motor of marriage. And then next week, God willing, we'll look at the ministry of marriage and the mission of marriage to close out our series. And I have been reading as a kind of an aid during this series, uh, in addition to the Bible, I'll clarify, this wonderful book uh, called uh, The Meaning of Marriage by uh, Tim and Kathy Keller. And I actually have an extra copy. I thought it brought it up here with me. I have an extra copy right here, and I would just like to bless somebody with this who will promise to read. It doesn't mean your marriage is in trouble. This will help anybody. But anybody like to read this? Okay. So, somebody come get it. I, I saw a bunch of hands go up at once. All right, there you go. All right, I, th I want to cultivate more and more a atmosphere of reading. How many know that reading is good, especially good Christian books? There's nothing like reading the Bible. We have to read that. But I'm telling you, your life will be so enriched if you will add some, uh, just some good Christian books to your, uh, to your life as well. All right, that being said, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. And I warned you, I'm going to have you stand for just a moment again in honor of the reading of the word. Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to talk about the motor of marriage. Stand with me if you would when you have it. You're like rebelling this morning. Dear Lord, I just pray for these people. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. The word of the Lord says, Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything, to God the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another, this is to all of us, submitting to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. And I'm going to unpack that, but I want to give you some context of where we're going next week. So I want to go ahead and read verse 25 um, through 33. Husbands love, I'm sorry, verse 22. Wives, wives, you thought you were going to get out of this. (laughs) Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and his, is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. So again, I want to talk today about the motor of marriage, and here's what I mean by that. I want to unpack what it is that drives a healthy Christian marriage. When you read verses 22 through the end of the chapter, these are some pretty radical commands for a husband and wife. So we want to see how can we live this out as the people of God when we are married. I love the story of a man who was asked the secret to his long marriage. And he replies, well, we go to a restaurant two times a week, a little candlelight dinner, a little soft music, and a slow walk home. My wife goes Mondays and I go Fridays. (laughs) You know, I don't believe that avoidance is the best prescription for a healthy marriage. Today, through this passage, we will see, I believe, what really is the motor of marriage and how we can have Christ-exalting relationships And as a matter of fact, uh, if you're single here today, I don't want to leave you out. What I'm about to say will transform every relationship in your life. It'll transform your life. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes the book of Ephesians to believers in this city of Ephesus. And the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are committed to Christian doctrine. It's all about who Christ is and who we are in Christ in our calling in Him. Well, in chapter 4 and all the way through chapter 6, you move from doctrine to Christian duty. All right? Or you could say you move from belief to Christian behavior. How should we live in light of the calling that we have? And Paul's point to these Ephesians who are living in this very pagan city, he says, listen, here's who you are in Christ because you are justified, you're saved, you've been made alive in Christ, and that ought to really transform your life. You ought to live differently because of what Christ has done. If you tell me you have a relationship with Jesus and it doesn't greatly change your, like every aspect of your life, there's an issue. 
Because Jesus transforms us from the inside out. Amen? The Holy Spirit does a work in our hearts. And so that's what Paul is telling this, these Ephesians. Listen, you're saved. You need to act like it. And then in verse 18, Paul encourages them to be full of the Spirit. And here's the reason he says this. It's, it's right here for a reason. One of the secrets to walking out this Christian life is to be full of the Holy Spirit. It is really hard to live in a wicked world and live for the Lord if we are not a people who are full of the Spirit. He says it another way in the book of Galatians. He tells us to walk by the Spirit. Now, I want to point something out. When Paul wrote this epistle, he did not write with chapters and verses and headings. Those were added later to help us quickly find a certain passage. But when you look at Ephesians 5, above verse 1, you might see that a heading in your Bible say something like this, walk in love. Anybody see that? You've got some kind of heading there. And then you'll see another heading above verse 22 called wives and husbands or something along those lines. Now here's the temptation. When you see a division like this, it would be easy to treat these as two totally different, unrelated sections. But verse 22 is actually a continuation of what Paul is saying in the previous section. Look at this. If you look at verse 21, you'll see this. He, he calls us in verse 21, all Christians... To submit to one another. You see that? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then you go to verse 22, and he implores wives to, here it is, submit to husbands. And then down in verse 25, for husbands to love their life, wives with a sacrificial love. So this is one thought. Now, again, these are radical commands in verse 22 and following, verses 22 and following, that are given to husbands and wives. What is it that enables a husband to love his wife sacrificially as Christ loves the church? I believe it's being full of the Spirit. What is it that allows a wife to, to submit gladly to her husband's leadership as he follows the Lord? It's being full of the Spirit. So here's the main point. You can write this down in your notes. It is your relationship with the Lord that fuels the health of your relationship with your spouse. It is your relationship with the Lord that will fuel your relationship with your spouse. Listen, when a Christian is constantly having relationship trouble, I'm not just talking about home. When he or she always feels like the victim, when there's constant tension at home, at church, at work, etc., you can bet that that person at that moment is not full of the Spirit. I'm not saying they're not a Christian. I'm not saying they don't have the Holy Spirit indwelling in them. But I do believe that they're not walking in the fullness of the Spirit. What does it mean to be full of the Spirit? We saw from Acts, excuse me, just a few weeks ago, that in one sense, being filled with the Spirit means being endued with power. The power for evangelism and Christ-exalting ministry. And we need that, Amen. But there's another sense that's seen here in which the Bible talks about being filled with the Spirit. And it means this, to be controlled by the Spirit. You've heard people talk about being filled with rage. And often if you're filled with rage, filled with anger, 
your actions are dictated by your anger. So there's this sense here that the Spirit controls us. Now, I want to be clear here. The Spirit does not possess us. Okay, it's not that He takes over our limbs and our mouth and we don't have any control. One of the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Okay, we are in control of what we're doing, but we're submitting to the Spirit. So to be filled with the Spirit in this sense means that an individual is not controlled by the sinful nature. My mind, my heart, my action is not ruled and reigned by the sinful nature. My insecurities, all these other things. No, my thoughts, my heart, my spirit and my actions are molded and shaped by the Spirit of the living God. It's a beautiful thing that the Holy Spirit does in our, our lives. And so I want to point out a couple things about this phrase, being filled with the Spirit. Number one, the Greek, you can write this down, the verb is, is in the present tense. It's in the present tense. So there's a, a better English translation would be this, keep on being filled with the Spirit. That's how it should read. And this is important because I don't want you to think this is a one-time event. There's a lot of people that say, hey, I've been baptized in the Spirit, and that's a glorious thing. But I don't believe that the Lord wants us to live on the crumbs of yesterday. Amen? He gives us just a fresh, uh, I don't know how to say it exactly. Somebody might say anointing. I would say just blessing, fellowship every single day. So this, this desire to, to walk with Him, this is a daily decision to submit to the work of the Spirit. Luke 9.23, Jesus says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Now watch this. And take up his cross daily. Daily and follow me. Every day, friends, you and I, we have a decision to make. Are we going to live by the Spirit? Are we going to take up our cross and follow Jesus? Or are we going to live according to the flesh? I sat in my lazy boy this morning with a cup of hot tea. I lost my man card again, didn't I? And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and I, I had my Bible open and, and read some in Proverbs, and I just said, Lord, I just fully submit to you again today. Lord, I don't want this to be about me. I, I don't want the sermon to be about me today. I don't want to say what's on my heart. I want to say what's on your heart. It's a daily decision to follow the Lord. It's a daily admonishment as well, to keep on being filled with the Spirit. The verb, I'll point out, is also passive. It is the Spirit who does the work. You open yourself up to the work of the Lord, and I'll say this, the more you do spiritual things, the more full of the Spirit you're going to be, but it is the Spirit who does the work. There are people who are far from God who can read the Bible and get nothing from it. But to spiritual people, when you read the Bible... God will do miraculous things in your life and heart. So it is the Spirit who does the work. We turn from sin. He says in verse 18, be not drunk on wine. That's our part. We turn from sin, we turn from ourselves, and we turn to the Holy Spirit. And as we do this, the Holy Spirit will guide us, and He will empower us to live according to His Word. And this will transform every relationship in your life. Listen, let me bring this back to marriage for a moment. Greatest things, husbands and wives, you can do for your marriage is to put Jesus Christ first. 
It is to be full of the Spirit. It's to submit to the working of the Spirit in your life. So I'll ask you this question now. Are you, Christian, full of the Spirit? Most of you would likely say, oh, yeah, I have the Holy Spirit. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, are you full to overflowing of the Spirit? Let me give you three marks that Paul gives us here for people who are full of the Spirit. Three marks of being full of the Spirit. Number one is the mark of Christian joy. Would you say that you're a person of joy? Better yet, would the people around you say that you're a person of joy? Come on, somebody. Verse 19, he says, To address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Joy-filled people tend to sing. Amen? Or at least hum or whistle. or some, They drive some of y'all nuts. Cra- like Cranky people don't like it when people sing. Amen? Christians have this unspeakable joy. We have it deep down in our heart. And it tends to overflow in song when we are full of the Spirit. You may be, remember in uh, 2014, there was a young man by the name of Willie Myrick, seven years old at, at the time. And he went out to his yard and he was abducted in his front lawn, thrown into a car. And uh, this man drove him around and, and he just said, listen. I don't want you to say a word. Little Willie didn't say a word, but he began to sing. Hezekiah Walker's, every praise is to our God. For three hours, he wouldn't shut up. He he just kept saying, every praise is to our God. I think he kept modulating and everything. You know how he's singing. He was driving the man nuts. The man couldn't take it anymore. He pulls over three hours away and says, just get out of the car. Come on, somebody. Joy-filled people tend to sing. And Christians who are continuously filled with the Spirit of God have an unquenchable joy that often overflows in song. If you're a grumbler, you're a complainer, the song is woe is me. Right? How many hear that song every once in a while? Don't point your spouse out. Listen, when, it, it is a song of joy because we can rejoice at all times. When Jesus is on the throne of our life, in the worst of circumstances, friends, we have reason to celebrate. And that will overflow in song. Think of Paul and Silas in a prison cell, beaten, thrown into innermost prison cell, humiliated. What do they do? They sing. That doesn't make sense unless you know Jesus Christ. Amen? Kent Hughes in his commentary on the Ephesians writes this. In the Reformation, Martin Luther brought hymn singing to the church. During the Wesleyan revival, Charles Wesley wrote more than 6,000 hymns. Think of the music that came with Moody and Sankey, and more recently, during the spiritual harvest of the late 1960s. There's a sense in which when people are born again, music is born again in their souls. And if they remain full of the Spirit, life brings an ongoing symphony of the soul. Isn't that good? Author T.H.L. Parker in his John Calvin biography points out that congregational singing was one of the four pillars of the reform of the church. He writes, quote, the reason is not too far to seek. To put it with the utmost simplicity, the church is the place where the gospel is preached. Gospel is good news. Good news makes people happy. Happy people sing, end quote. So when you and I, listen, when we meditate on the gospel, 
When we, that, that's part of submitting to the Spirit. When we're full of the Word of God, listen, something happens in our heart, and it often overflows in song. How many just find yourself, like when you're driving, when you're, when you're at work, when you're at home, when you're in the shower? Uh, we get a concert every night from Connor, uh, you know, in the shower. That just means he's a happy kid, right? How many just find yourself singing all the time? That's a really good sign as long as you're not singing gangster rap, all right? Or death metal, just to be fair. When you really meditate on the gospel, it changes who you are. And it just tends to make you a really joyful person. Let me say one more thing about this. Christian joy is not a thermometer. Okay? It does not just tell you what the temperature is. Christian joy is a thermostat. It sets the temperature in the, temperature in the atmosphere. It changes it changes the people around you. It overflows on the other people. Nobody can take your joy. If you're not a joy-filled person, there's nobody to blame but yourself. And you say, Pastor, you don't know what I've gone through. Listen, I'm not saying you have to be chipper all the time. I'm just saying when Christ is your cornerstone, when he is your life, he is steadfast. So if your joy is coming from him, your relationship with him never changes. So if you are walking in the fullness of the Spirit you're going to be filled with joy. Nobody can take that away from you. And that's frustrating to mean people who want to get under your skin. It's real frustrating. Don't let anybody rob you of your joy. That's not their right. Amen? Number two, the second mark of being full of the Spirit is gratitude. Gratitude 20. Uh, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father uh, in, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Warren Worsby correctly points out, I believe, that the home is the place where we're treated the best and complain the most. I'll just let that sink in a moment. Home can be the place where we're treated the best, yet we complain the most. And I would add church to that as well. You want to change your marriage? You want to change your other relationships? Start by thanking God every day for those relationships. You start praying and, and thanking God for your spouse. And you just watch your heart begin to change. Begin to notice the little things that we often take for granted. Being full of the Spirit, listen, it rules out grumbling and complaining. It rules out grumbling and complaining. It rules out gossiping, negativity, a sour spirit. A grateful heart promotes harmony in the home. When a husband's full of the Spirit, he won't take his wife for granted. He'll notice the gifts she has. He'll notice the small things she does, and he'll be thankful. And the wife will not take her husband for granted. She'll appreciate and compliment him and, and see the good in him. Now, this does not mean that we don't address serious issues. Okay, act like everything's okay. There's a time for conf confrontation. I'm talking about being nitpicky and just grouchy and complaining all of the time. Paul says this in Philippians 4. Brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. What do we tend to do? Isn't it so easy to focus on the negative? Uh, it blows my mind in church sometimes. Uh, we can have an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and somebody will catch me. This rarely happens here, but I've, I've been in ministry a long time, so I'll just talk about other churches. Hopefully they're not listening. Um, 
And they would come up to me, you know, I'd leave worship and I needed the move of God and they would complain about something like the, the temperature was one degree off or, you know, I mean, you just name it. And, I, and I'm like, no, I didn't notice. And I ask other people, did you notice this certain thing? And they say, no. I said, why? Because we were actually worshiping. Right? It, it's hard to, to see, you know, we, we are so, I don't know, trained by our culture to see every little nitpicky thing that's wrong. That's not a person full of the Spirit. Are there things that need to be handled and talked about? Absolutely. If I'm up here preaching false doctrine, we probably need to deal with that. If there's a major issue with the music, we need to deal with that. If there's a major, you know, if I have it 52 degrees in here, I know some of y'all think it's cold. Listen, I, we sleep with our, in our house, pray for my wife, at 65 degrees. We keep it at 65 degrees, don't we, Bush? <laughs> he worked on my HVAC. He couldn't believe it. Yeah, it, it's, it's, you know, I, I just believe this. When we're full of the Spirit, we tend to be more positive, more generous, more grateful. Amen? The Spirit changes us. Number three, the third mark of being full of the Spirit is submission. Submission. Verse 21 says, this is so difficult, to submit to one another out of the reverence for Christ. It's talking to all Christians. This is not just married folks. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Friends, this is so countercultural. The Western world, is, as we've been talking about, is, is big on individualism, right? The world is screaming, life is about you. You're good enough. You're smart enough. I won't finish that. Listen, this is not about you. I hate to burst your bubble. Life is not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about the glory of God. And when you become a Christian, literally, you lay your life down every day for the good of others. That's it. You prefer others above yourself. You know, it's popular today to start your day with some kind of mantra that will say something about you and your dreams. So you get your mindset, something like this. It's all over the Internet right now. Today, is you, you just kind of turn on some, you know, mystical music and you say something like this. Today's about me and my dreams and nobody's going to stop me from reaching them. Anyone who doesn't serve me, this is a real big saying. Anyone who doesn't serve me or anything that doesn't serve me, I let go. Now, is that a biblical outlook? I don't think so. Because we are called to serve everybody else. We have a problem in the home. It's the same problem that's in the church. Everything is about us. We make everything. And it's so, to be fair, it's very difficult for this not to happen in the Western world because this is what everybody is telling us we're supposed to do. Really, ever since the Enlightenment and all of this, we're, we're to look within for everything. No, we need to look to God for everything. We are called to submit one to another. Now, in the mayor, or just generally in all Christians, we're called to submit to one another. So if you're married and you are both Christians, then just by virtue of your relationship with Jesus, your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're to submit to one another. But there's a deeper submission that the Lord calls us to. There's a deeper servant's heart that the Bible calls us to as husbands and wives. We're going to talk about that next week. But I, I want us to look real quick because I think this is important. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit, this is what makes it possible. 
makes it possible to be able to submit. You can't do this without the help of the Holy Spirit because it is so against what your flesh, your sinful nature wants. Your heart, apart from Christ, wants this life to be about you. It wants what it wants. But that's not what the Bible calls us to. And the only way you can lay your preferences, your desires aside for somebody else, is with the help of the Spirit. This is absolutely miraculous. Who is the ultimate model for our submission? It's Jesus Christ. When John the Baptist was asked by the Pharisee why he was baptizing people, he responded with these words. I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. I want you to think about this for a second. Give me your focus just for three more minutes here. In the first century, it was the job of a slave or a servant to carry a master's sandals. John now claims that he's not even worthy, John the Baptist, not even worthy to carry the sandals or to untie the sandals even of Jesus Christ. Yet, you go to a very familiar story in John chapter 13. Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Now, I want you to think about this. People are traveling on dirt roads, filthy feet, and they're entering a home. And loosening sandals and washing someone else's feet was just a part of hospitality. But it would be the job of a servant. Jesus takes on the role of a servant. And he stoops down. And he does one of the most degrading jobs in that culture. And he looks at his disciples in John 13. And he says this. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. This changes the, the way you read Ephesians 5, husbands and wives. Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You want to be blessed? We all want to be blessed, right? We have t-shirts all the time. Blessed. Not stressed, but blessed. How many want to be blessed? Then be a servant. Jesus teaches us to, out of great humility, to serve one another. And this happens almost naturally when we are full of Spirit, we're to submit to one another. So let me ask you, are you full of the Spirit? Do you have joy in your life? Do you have joy? Are you a grateful person? Do you have gratitude? Are you always complaining and grumbling? Are you submitting to other people or does it always have to be your way? This will transform your life if you get a hold of this. Be full of the Spirit. As um, we prepare to sing, I'm going to invite you to stand. 
And I want to just close with a little excerpt from that uh, Meaning of Marriage book. Kathy Keller writes this part in the book. She says this, Without the help of the Spirit, without a continual refilling of your soul's tank with the glory and the love of the Lord, such submission to the interests of others is virtually impossible to accomplish for any length of time without becoming resentful. Listen to me. She says, I call this love economics. You can only afford to be generous if you actually have some money in the bank to give. In the same way, if your only source of love and meaning is in your spouse, or I would add in your church, or any other relationship, then anytime he or she fails you, it will not just cause grief, but a psychological cataclysm. If, however, you know something of the work of the Spirit in your life, you will have enough love in the bank to be generous to your spouse or other people, even when you're not getting much affection or attention or kindness at the moment. To have a marriage that sings, how many wants a marriage that sings, requires a spirit-created ability to serve, to take yourself out of the center, to put the needs of others ahead of your own. The spirit's work of making the gospel real to the heart weakens the self-centeredness in the soul. The deep happiness that marriage can bring lies on the far side of sacrificial service in the power of the Spirit. That is, you only discover your own happiness after each of you has put the happiness of your spouse, or I would add any other relationship, ahead of your own in a sustained way in response to what Jesus has done for you. If you try to submit to somebody else without being full of the Spirit, you will be bankrupt and you will become resentful. You'll become emotionally bankrupt. You'll, you'll have to have something back in return or you won't be able to take it. But if you are full of the Spirit, it changes everything. You have overflow to just give. And I know that the world screams this right now. In order for you to be happy in a marriage, make the marriage about you. Do your own thing. Live your own life. Don't let a spouse keep you from living your dreams. And we wonder why people are so miserable today in marriage. The happy people in marriage are the people who make it about other people. Make it about the spouse, I should say. Put, putting their spouse above their own needs. And it just changes you. That's where you find happiness. I know that sounds so contrary to what the world says, but it's truth. And I say that's true again in any relationship. I'll close with this. Even in a church, when you, when you put yourself at the center of the church and everything is about you, you will become very, very resentful towards everybody. You'll hate it here. You won't, and you'll find yourself moving. You'll go to another church and you'll leave that one too. Because everything is about you. But when you get up in the morning and you say, oh, man, I can't wait to go to serve this community. I can't wait to, to sing songs that other people like. I can't wait to, to put on my 
my sweater. It's too cold for me, but I can't wait to serve somebody else who maybe is a little more hot-natured. All right, I'm, I'm just being real practical. When you just take yourself out of the center, it changes your life. It is the self-centered life is miserable that says the world owes me something. So I just challenge you today. Be full of the Spirit. Be a person full of joy. Be a person full of gratitude. And be one who's willing to submit to the needs and the preferences of others. Lift them up in prayer. Bless other people. Do everything you can to serve others. And watch your life and your heart just transform into just one of just great happiness and joy. Amen. As I pray, I'm going to open up these altars. And this is for single people, married people. If you just say, Lord, I want to be full of your spirit every day, I'd invite you to come. And if you are the person who I was speaking to earlier by the way of the Lord, that you're ready to, and you want to give your life back to the Lord today. You want to choose to follow Him. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.